a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. I am Brian, and I am joined tonight by an old friend, a fellow podcaster, a a good dude, uh, a guy I will be seeing at New York Comic Con, I hope. Fingers crossed. Yes, no? Uh, f- yes, yes. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. It is my pal, Greg Matasevich of Robots of Robots from Tomorrow, formerly of The Next Issue, uh, podcaster extraordinaire, government worker, my friend. Hello, Greg. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> is that a fair uh, introduction? That is oh, that is a that is a wonderful uh, that is a wonderful introduction. Um, <laughs> How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing good. I'm ready to talk. Uh, you know, ready to talk some Star Wars. Uh, the one Star Wars without any Jedi or uh, uh, you know lightsabers at all, yeah, or, or, or anything like that. It's a uh, it's it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So all right. So um, you and I saw this film in very different circumstances. So you yeah. just saw it recently, correct? Yes, uh, like three weeks ago, okay. I think. Like right after you said, "Hey, why don't you come on and talk about this this movie?" I was like, "Ah, <laughs> yes. Why don't I do that?" I, I, I have a specific reason for wanting you to come on. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Uh, but okay. this movie, I thought, oh, Greg will be good for this for this part. But I actually saw this film. Uh, it was one of the first times I was able to attend a press screening as a member mm-hmm. of Multiversity. So. Um, I saw it in a room that was very much a cold audience because people there are writing reviews of it or are, you know, taking it in for editorial reasons. They're not necessarily Star Wars fans. So it was mm-hmm. a very different viewing experience than I've had at the theater for other Star Wars movies. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that the reaction of the crowd had a lot to do with my initial feelings about the film. Okay. Um, but before I share my initial feelings, Sort of, you know, when the film ended and you see, you know, directed by Ron Howard, what mm. are the thoughts going through your head? How did you overall enjoy the film? How did I enjoy the film? Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I did not go into it with the with the baggage of the production stuff. Like I had known, uh, you know, that there had been, um, you know, the directorial change and there had been some some things but that had been uh that had been far enough in the past that it didn't uh you know i didn't sort of carry it into watching the actual the actual film and uh i overall i thought it was you know i thought it was fine um for what it was you know for what it was what it was trying to do uh the word i wanted to try and remember to describe it uh that i thought you would appreciate was and i really hope i get this right cromulent yes cromulent is, is that the, the like it was it was fine um there were parts of it i enjoyed it was not uh groundbreaking um it was uh it is not in the top you know 3 or so of my uh you know of my star wars uh hierarchy um, but it was, it was certainly, uh, it was, it was fun. It was, it was fun. Yeah. I, I think fun's a good way to describe it. I, you know, I, I certainly have, I don't want to say my problems with it. That, that, that makes it sound harsher than it is, but 
Like mm-hmm. you said, it, it's it's not a perfect movie. It's not, to my eyes, a top-tier Star Wars movie. But mm-hmm. I, I think that it does a lot of things that I enjoyed. I think that there's a couple of performances in the film that are really very good. Mm-hmm. And that uh, upon repeated viewings, I think have gotten even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and overall, I think it's... It's fine. If this is if this is the bad Star Wars films that we get. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um I have uh a, a lot of agreement um with that. Uh I had a question, sort of like a broad question I kinda wanted to throw out. I'm not sure. exactly sure where. Um because this is you know, in the ten? Ten. Ten. Ten Star Wars from yeah. So in the ten uh this is kind of in a unique position uh and i sort of alluded to it you know earlier is it doesn't have uh you know no jedi okay no jedi uh you know it does have a lightsaber i need to take that back very very briefly yes (laughs) um (laughs) yeah uh forgot about that good call yeah yeah so you know apparently so did i uh so uh i don't know if you want to get into this sort of now let me just sort of uh, I think let me let me pose the question and then I think it's one that we'll sort of come back to as we sure. as we sort of talk about the movie. What makes Star Wars Star Wars? That's an excellent question. And it's something that I think is more relevant today than any other to talk about this. Like, I don't know I know you've obviously seen all of the Star Wars films. How now, yeah. deep? Yes. <laughs> how deep have you dug into novels, animated series, that sort of stuff? Um, sporadically. Okay. Uh, so you know, I've listened to. Let me just sort of mentally go through. Well, I mean, audibly as well. <laughs> sort of, sort of go down, my, go down my checklist. Uh, so like I've listened to the radio dramas. I saw the. Gendy Tarkovsky. Yes. <laughs> Clone <laughs> Wars. I have to be very specific about, you know, yes. uh, about that uh, off air joke. Um, <laughs> so I saw the the, the 2D uh, Clone Wars animation, okay. um, animated series. Uh, I haven't seen the uh, Dave Filoni Clone Wars, but I have seen a chunk of Rebels. Okay. Um, I've read a couple of the novels. Back in the day, like mostly the Thrawn stuff. Right. Um, I've like played a couple of the video games, mostly like X Wing, because I'm a. The, I was really big into like flight simulator stuff. Okay. Um, and yeah, I think that I think that basically covers it. So uh, I know there's an extended universe out there. Uh, the I am not slavish. Sure. <laughs> to it by any means. Uh, I've also read a bunch of the comics uh, okay. as, <laughs> as well. So yes, well, almost, uh, almost forgot that uh, you know the <laughs> fact that I, I I talk about the uh, you know Al Williamson Archie Goodwin Star Wars newspaper strips at the drop of <laughs> the drop of a hat. Don't forget to talk about the comics. So um, the reason the reason I asked that question though is because I think mm-hmm. that the more versed you are in the non-film media, the more broad your definition of what star wars is can be right and so like for me if we're just talking about me personally mm-hmm. i really would have thought 
a couple of years ago that I would have needed some sort of discussion of or use of the Force mm-hmm. for something to feel truly Star Wars to me. Uh, Solo somewhat bucks that. You know, we mm-hmm. see Darth Vader, we see Darth Maul rather at the end of the film, or I guess he's just Maul. He's no longer Darth. We just we see mm-hmm. Maul at the end of the film, and you know he certainly has uh, control of the Force, but we never. We never see him wield that, right? right. Um, and to me, what makes Star Wars kind of, and I feel like you're the perfect guy to talk to this, talk about this, or use this quote for, because you deal in con- congressional testimony. But like, it's like it's like I forget who said it. The definition of pornography, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I feel about Star Wars. Like it's very hard for me to sit here and tell you. There needs to be like six percent force and you right. know whatever, but there are certain things that when you feel it, you just it just feels like Star Wars. Um, okay, and like this is a very comics centric reference, but you'll know exactly what I mean. Like mm-hmm. to me, the answer of nine times out of ten, what makes a comic a Mignola verse comic is Dave Stewart and Clem Robbins. Because they just, they're like the droids in Star Wars where they pop up everywhere. Like, they're the unifying Mm -hmm. thing across, across um, Mignola books. Like, especially Dave Stewart. To me, Dave Stewart is like, he is Mignola Comics in so many ways. And so even when there's a story that doesn't necessarily fit in with what I think of as a Mignola book, when Stewart gets his hands on it, he goes a long way to make it feel that way for me. And so um, I think that there are just bits of Star Wars that they just they just give off a certain a certain visual like it fires synapses in my brain like oh Star Wars Star Wars Star Wars you know it, it uh, and mm-hmm. occasionally I'll, you'll get that outside of Star Wars media like there I've definitely been watching other TV shows or seeing other films. And you get a moment that's very Star Warsy, and it mm-hmm. sets off that kind of thing. And you know, there are some very obvious answers like wipes. You know, or Lucas loved to wipe. So right. when it's been wiped, that's a very Star Wars thing. But I don't think that that's necessary. This is a long-winded way of saying I'm not really sure. Uh, what What do you think Star Wars is? <laughs> um, I don't have an I don't have a definitive answer for that. Um, it, Interesting, you mentioned, and I did get the I did get the comic reference. Um, the Star Wars uh, parallel that I would have gone with for the Mignolaverse thing is John Williams, yes. like. And there have been Star Wars movies that Williams has not scored because he didn't do Rogue One. Right? I mean, he didn't do Solo, although he, he, he composed the theme for Han that was used. Yes, right. Um, but like everybody is taking their cues uh, from Williams so much that in certain respects it's not Star Wars if John Williams isn't isn't involved. And yet, like I read Star Wars comics and I read you know Star Wars you know uh, books or whatever. There's no sound in there, so clearly. That's not, you know, that's not sort of the, that's not sort of the, you know, the end all be all. Um, there, 
so in you know solo there aren't uh you know jedi there's no real sort of lightsabers but there are a lot of calls to the original trilogy so you know i'm thinking is it more like there have to be like specific sort of touchstones to those three movies like that kind of is what sort of triggers um the star warsy sort of thing in people because um for you know for solo a lot of it is um you know pushing those buttons to get like this you know this is star wars for you know for me and for you know the uh, people uh, watching it um i have an interesting sort of like attachment disattachment with with some of these media like all the all the extended universe stuff i i like it i enjoy it um but i feel like the it's the movies that are the the engine for this for this particular endeavor right sure yeah um and you said something on the show uh at various points where other media so like uh the clone wars uh you know the 3d uh Mm -hmm. uh cartoon made or like made attack of the clones not necessarily better but it kind of um sort of made it a like a better movie well it's to me it just it places it it places the film in a different context Mm -hmm. and it's hard to it's hard to enjoy the Clone Wars series, which I do immensely, mm-hmm. without taking into account its relationship to Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. And so even though Attack of the Clones is still a garbage fire uh, yeah. of a film, yeah. like there are parts yeah. of it where you can recognize that it led to something decent. Mm. Uh, if, the, if, if that tracks at all. I actually think it that does. The, the most effective one is... And I already, I'm already somewhat of a Revenge of the Sith apologist. Mm-hmm. I think Revenge of the Sith is infinitely better after watching Clone Wars, because you see Anakin. Like one of the problems I have with Revenge of the Sith is that you see Anakin go from basically like the lowest level Jedi in Attack of the Clones, right, to being like King of the Jedi, and you mm-hmm. kind of don't know why that happened. And when you watch the Clone Wars, you're like, oh, that's why it happened, you know? Okay. So it helps in that way. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the question of what is Star Wars is going to change even more so after Episode Nine, mm-hmm. because at least for the next decade or so, we're not going to be seeing films with these character with with even the new characters in it. You know, they they they've said they're taking a big break from this stuff, and the two new trilogies that are starting, the Ryan Johnson trilogy and the Game of Thrones guys trilogy, those yeah. are not going to have any pre-existing characters in it. Huh. So, you know, okay. we're going to get a we're going to get a lot more Star Wars that isn't the Star Wars we know. Okay. And so I think that 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 question is going to be much more broadly answered in a few years time. Okay. Um that's actually <laughs> that fills me with a little hope um, yeah. 
because uh yeah yeah that, that's 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 good to hear yeah that's good to hear uh okay so uh you know we we have a another star wars movie yes uh uh to talk about yes um <laughs> so i, I have yeah. an initial i have an initial big question for you mm-hmm. how convincing is the casting of Han Solo for you? Because to me, that can make or break your enjoyment of the film, not moment to moment, because I think you get caught up in the story if it's a good movie and you don't, you know, you don't think right. about the casting every minute. But when you think about this is supposed to take place, I believe the film is supposed to end 10 years before A New Hope. Right. So so does, does the casting... You know, can you picture, um, you know, Alden Ehrenreich becoming Harrison Ford enough to get by? Yes. Okay. <laughs> You're like, I wanted you to elaborate a little no, bit. No, yeah. no, 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 my answer is maybe for me personally. Uh, yeah. So what did you like about his performance? Let's start there. Um, I like the fact that he didn't try and do like every Harrison Ford shtick. Yes. You know, like there, there wasn't a lot of finger pointing <laughs> as, you know, the hand gesticulation as he's, you know, as he's talking, um, it was not, uh, and probably, you know, people more known than him were turned away cause they tried to go that, uh, tried to go that route in, you know, auditions or, or whatever. I mean, he, you know, he had the swagger, or he had the big. He had he had swagger, but uh, it was <laughs> nascent. Like it was still, you know, building. You know, so you could see you could see it happen in certain parts. You could have you would see uh, his brashness in terms of. Um, I guess this is more plot than than sort of performance, but he, uh, you know, when um, he he was he very much pulled off somebody who would make the type of uh, sort of quick decisions that Han would make if something went south, you know. Yes. Um, he he was you know he was charming uh, at times he uh didn't have you know uh yeah he he was a he was a he was the second to third most charming person in the uh you know in the you know in the cast uh he was not the most charming person there because obviously lando's in the movie so uh (laughs) but 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 yeah i was i did not i did not spend any of the movie uh sort of wishing somebody else was in that, you know, was in that role. I'm glad they didn't try to sort of make him up to look more like, you sure. know, Harrison Ford is almost yeah. like a, uh, uh, um, uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt as Bruce Willis. Bruce and Willis and Looper, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly, they didn't yeah. try to do that. They didn't try to do digital, uh, you know, digital stuff. They're like, look, this is, you know, he's got this, he's got the swagger. He's got the grin. Um, but he's not going to go too over the top. Um, because it's, it's like, so going back to comics for a second, it's like somebody drew Han Solo, but wasn't 
doing it off of photo stills. So not right. like the current Marvel comics. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's not the, oh, that's the pose from the hall in Empire Strikes Back. That's the, uh, you know, press photo from A New Hope pose of, of the, you know, it's like, okay, this is Han. It's close enough. Just just go with it. And, and I went with it. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, I don't mean to derail us, but I feel like I have to mention this to you. Yeah. Just got a text from a friend of mine. Uh, Ewan McGregor in talks to do a Disney Plus Obi-Wan series. Huh. Cool. I'm in. I'm very yeah. much in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, uh. Okay. So uh, my thoughts on Aaron Reich. I agree with this about everything you said. I think that the the confidence that he has is a much more innocent confidence than what Han has. Yes. And I think that's a I think that's a good choice. I think that my biggest problems with the the Han all we get on the screen a lot of times has to it comes down to the fact that so much of the film has to be exposition heavy in clunky ways. Mm-hmm. Like at one point he says that he was thrown out of the Imperial Academy for having a mind of his own. I feel like that was a bullet point on a script that then became a line of dialogue. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it really isn't... I feel like people don't talk that way, typically. Um, you know. <laughs> so what is something that makes Star Wars Star Wars? A lot of times it's lines where you're like, people don't really exactly, talk yes. that so, way. So and in, the best Star ways, Wars are the ones that have the least amount of that. Like, you're right. never going to get rid of that in a Star Wars movie, but the best of them are the ones where you have the real... It, it, like even in even in solo, one of my favorite lines is is uh, you know Lando's talking to to Beckett, and it's like, oh, Aura Singh, you killed her. That really worked out for me. I owed her a lot of money. And Beckett's like, well, I pushed her. Pretty sure it was the fall that killed her. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> that is like not the best line in the world, but like that's a that's a real human. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a human line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that some of the, some of his dialogue is a little bit wooden and a little bit. Um, exposition heavy just because it has to be right but yeah. i think that his performance overall is very natural which that's my big thing with harrison ford in the force awakens is i think that there are times that harrison ford does not feel as natural as he typically mm-hmm. does and that's when the seams show for me with his performance in that film even like uh, the, the return of the jedi like the whole back half of return of the jedi He's phoning it in. You can basically see the phone held to yeah. his ear. He's phoning it in so so sufficiently, you know. Um, and yeah. so I feel like with Harrison Ford, when he's natural, he's great. And so I thought that Aaron Reich did a nice job appearing as natural as Han appeared in the Star Wars films previously. Mm-hmm. So that was and a again, big plus. He's coming at it from sort of like a different age thing. He's not trying to do you know, Han, when we see him, like you mentioned, he's got that more of an, you know, he's more innocent, mm-hmm. even though he's, I'm sure even at that age, he's seen some, he's seen some stuff, right. Growing up, sure, where he, yeah. you know, where he grew up. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought he did. Uh, I thought he did a good job. Yeah. I'm, I'm very interested to see if he gets to play the character again, because I think it'll be interesting to see him five years later mm-hmm. and sort of see how they see if he plays it differently than he would play it at this point, you know? Right. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think there will ever be a solo sequel because it did, it did poorly enough for Disney to pump the brakes on 
more Star Wars films. But mm-hmm. I think with Disney Plus being a thing, you might very well see like a, a Lando Han series, right, of some sort, which I will welcome. Yeah. Um, before we get into um, any other sort of like plot points, I do want to talk about Donald Glover as mm-hmm. Lando because I think that that is a masterful bit of casting, <laughs> yeah, and and a really good performance from Donald Glover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Oh, so good. It was <laughs> so. I'm sorry. It's it's mentally playing in, in, in front of me. Yeah, it's it's got to be interesting, you know, having and and probably the same thing with you know with with Aaron Reich, Although there's less Lando than than Han. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Glover's obviously a very talented actor, and he has a template to sort of go with. Um, and he's able to, you know, evoke and hit those particular moments, but you can see that he, um, has, you know, internal, it's not a, it's not a parroting. It's more of a, of a performance when we get to see, uh, him in sort of non situations that weren't sort of directly analogous to sort of what Lando was in, in the movies where, where Glover has to sort of like sort of take the Lando that he's constructed and sort of make him actually do something (laughs) other than what we're sort of programmed to expect. Right. You know, and, and that's where you really can see is like, Oh, he's really got this, you know, you know, he's really sort of got this, uh, you know, got this character like he could, you know, him being suave in a bar or, you know, playful at the poker table. OK, cool. We've you know, we've seen that. But then like, you know, later on and, and stuff when he's, you know, has a little more sort of emotional, emotional stuff to go to. He he makes it real. Right. Like it's yeah, it's good is what I'm saying. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. And I will say that I was afraid in the first scene because mm-hmm. of how much he sounds like Billy D. Williams, that mm. it was going to be an impression the whole time. Right. And I don't think it becomes that. No. I think there are times that he definitely leans into the, the Lando voice a little more. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but but never to a distracting degree. Right. Right, right, right. He's, 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 just, he's just smooth. Yeah, know? exactly. Uh, naturally, and then, yeah, it turns it on for, uh, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. My favorite line of his in the in the film is when they're on the Falcon and there's a fire and Kira goes to put it out with one of his capes <laughs> and he says yeah. that's a custom piece just yeah. perfect just a really great Lando line yeah yeah Lando is is he is a king but the you know the the movie and stuff does a good job of 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 the the balancing act between him being super super suave and and super uh, um, competent or whatever. But then yeah. it's like, oh, a lot of ships have been stolen, so I keep my you know I keep my ship in this guarded place. It's like it's actually looking like it's sort of impounded. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's like yeah 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 yeah. You know, I'm gonna roll with that. You know, it's it's good and again that's you know not something he would have ad-libbed that would have been obviously in the script and set up by the plot but it it all it all really uh came together uh and stuff another another really really good bit of casting all right well let's do this let's take a quick break okay and we come back on the other side we'll talk about uh sort of the movie with specifics stay tuned 
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. So, Greg, uh, you, you alluded to it before where there's a um, there was a lot of drama and speculation because the film was originally set to be directed by the directors of the Lego movie, uh, Christopher Miller and Phil Lord, and then they were um, they were removed about six months in, and Ron Howard came in and finished the film. Mm-hmm. I think it can be a fool's errand to sit and try and dissect: is this a Lord Miller scene? Is this a Ron Howard scene? But did you notice any sort of um, wildly different tones or any seams showing? throughout the film, you know, knowing the troubled production? Um, no. Uh, it was, it was pretty, it felt pretty seamless. Um, so Lord and Miller directed, but they didn't, were, did they have any real hand in like the writing? That was from the Kasdans, right? Right. Um, okay. I'm sure as I think is the case often, I'm sure they took a pass at the script right? or added some things. But I also know that Star Wars is much more protective of their scripts than other companies might be. Right. So I don't know how much influence the directors have on it in terms okay. of actually changing words on paper. Um, and, you know, one of the rumors was that the reason or one of the reasons they were dismissed was because there was – they felt there was excessive – comedy and excessive ad-libbing being done on the set and that mm. Lucasfilm wanted to have a more uh, locked down. Sort yes, of. exactly. Okay. It did not have as many chances taken. Okay. Um, I, I mentioned that because uh, so Jonathan Kasdan and his father, Larry Kasdan, uh, you know, being the screenwriters, Larry Kasdan, of course, co-wrote slash probably mostly wrote uh, Empire, Return of the Jedi, Indiana Jones. And so the there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, those type of moments that I would have thought um, would kind of naturally be in this type of script. That's sort of, uh, you know, the banter, comedic sort of stuff. I don't feel like it's sort of not in their wheelhouse to kind of, to kind of put in. Um, so having, you know, uh, Miller and Lord there and then not there. And then having Ron Howard come in, Ron Howard is interesting. Cause I feel like he's, uh, enough of a, just a, a craftsman director to be able to, uh, to be able to put, to be able to come in and, you know, shoot what he needs to shoot and sort of work with the movie to give a seamless uh, end product, you know, yes. like he, he certainly has 
I mean, he he's not uh, he's not a visionary director, but he is certainly a very good director uh, at any time. And given you know better material, he can be a, he can be a very good director. So having him come in to be the uh, you know the relief pitcher or whatever or the the, the closer even if he's brought in early, I guess right. maybe yeah. earlier than to, to sort of butcher that, that metaphor. Um, I think bringing in someone like, like him, he was certainly able to make uh, a picture that felt like a picture for whatever it's, you know, faults are and what it leans too heavily on this or that. It didn't feel like a Frankenstein's monster picture. That's something like I hear justice league or whatever. Yes. Yes. I haven't actually seen that, but save your yeah. time. You're right. It's, it's a Frankenstein <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, you know, I have now seen Solo, I believe, three times. I saw it once at the press screening. I took my daughter to see it. It was her mm-hmm. first Star Wars film in in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, no, that's not true. I took her to see the last. No, yeah, yeah, it is. I'm mm-hmm. contrary to myself, left and right. We watched the Last Jedi at home because I thought that two and a half hours just was too much for at the mm-hmm. time like a five-year-old to, to sit through um right. but you know uh and then i watched it again in preparation for this episode and this time around i noticed a little bit more of the seams than i had in the past i okay. just noticed that basically from from when lando enters the film until they get until they do the kessel run there's a lot more comedy. It's a lot more loose. There's a lot more mm. sort of freewheeling stuff happening. And I'm sure not, I'm sure it's not as simple as like they kept these pages directed by Lord and Miller and then redid this stuff. But mm-hmm. I did feel like there was a, there was a much heavier emphasis on the lighthearted banter in those scenes. And, uh, so I don't again I, I don't have proof that that's the Lord of Miller stuff that just seems to me like there's there are a couple of things specifically on the Falcon as they're doing the Kessel run where Beckett does some goofy stuff mm-hmm. like um I actually thought it was a very funny scene but um Han asks him like uh are they are they after us and he he gives like oh yeah two fake meta like two fake cliches that mean nothing to us because we don't live in the star wars universe but basically right. he he says something like the equivalent of like flies on shit or like white on rice but in the star right. wars lingo and like no one knows what he's talking about and he right. kind of like fumbles in the chair in the gunner's chair a little bit and makes a goofy face and they're just beckett in particular felt very different in those scenes than he did earlier in the film and then again toward at the end of the film. So I wonder if that's, if I'm seeing what I think I'm seeing or if I'm just, because I know it's there, you know, I'm looking for it, even though there may not be visual evidence of it. Um, Yeah. uh, Yeah. Um, Could be. Yeah. You know, you will see. Um, That could just be. Yeah. 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 Now, uh, I haven't seen it enough to mm-hmm. be able to sort of get to that point, like right. as a sort of as a whole uh, and stuff. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that Larry Kasdan was a co-writer of the Indiana Jones, at least two indie films, three. I think at least the first one 
maybe the second as well, but certainly the certainly the first. Yeah. So it's funny because you know watching the film the third time, I have very much become a. Uh, I feel like I feel like I, I see it in much clearer, in a much more clear way than I had the first few times. And there's mm-hmm. there was a movie that really popped out for me as being I think <laughs> tonally uh, similar this time. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering if you're gonna think I'm crazy for saying it. Uh, can I say what you what I think you're gonna say, and we'll see if that's the sure yeah that's the thing. Uh, is it the Last Crusade? It is the Last Crusade. Is it the first? It is 20 minutes. The first 20 minutes yes, exactly. <laughs> well played, yeah. sir. Yeah, yes. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Kazdan did not have a hand in that, but the I mean, the Lucasfilm sort of I mean, he's not necessarily particularly there, but like that uh, you know, this is where Indy gets his hat. This is where the <laughs> the Han pistol comes from. Right. This is where this comes from. This is where that comes from. Uh yeah. Even down to like there's the guy who dresses like Indy. Right. In that who winds up like kind of being his antagonist but also inspiring him for how to act. Like that is Beckett more or less, you know, um yeah. So the the first the prologue of the Last Crusade is very much where my where my brain was and I will say that I felt there were some times that the score even somewhat reflected the Last Crusade score. Now, again, John Williams did that. John Williams did not do this. But right. John Powell, I'm sure, was listening to a lot of John Williams to prepare for this. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, Kathleen Kennedy, mm-hmm. uh, the head matriarch of, of Lucasfilm, was, of course, a producer uh, for those Indiana Jones movies. So she was... You know, directly involved. Uh, there's a lot of trains. Yes. In, in the uh, uh, in sort of the indie prologue and the you know and and this movie featured trains. It's a, you know, um, I'm sure that's that's just a you know that's just a coincidence. But yeah, that did um, not as I was watching it, but as I was thinking about it afterwards, trying to get uh you know get notes together and sort of write down impressions and stuff and i was like yeah there's a real sort of what's the movie oh yeah last crusade but specifically you know the river the river phoenix you know 15 20 minutes sort of this is where all the pieces of indie come together uh and then you jump cut to you know indie you know in the quote-unquote present day uh and stuff and so this obviously you know and you know, works out differently, but that that vibe is definitely, you know, definitely there. And that's not a that's not a bad thing. No. Uh it's just yeah, it's it's there. It's funny, uh, you know, I be, because I have little kids in the house who are curious little kids, oftentimes mm-hmm. they will pop in while I'm watching something. And my daughter watched the first like half hour of Last Crusade with me and loved it. She mm-hmm. loved that. And I was always under the impression that I loved that because I loved Raiders and Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. And so, but no, she like, she was laughing and really enjoying that that sequence. And so I think that there is a, even though we can look at all the references and, you know, oh, there's the scar, there's the whip, all that stuff. I, I mm-hmm. think that, that that sequence just works on a on a filmmaking level. It's just a well-shot, 
well put together sequence. And so, oh yeah, um, I don't think it's a bad thing at all to compare the first act of that film to to this. I will also say though, it is very funny that both films feature a young Harrison Ford. <laughs> in it you know that uh, uh yeah like you know yeah we're watching <laughs> we're essentially watching two different harrison ford origin stories right uh, yeah 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 uh which is just just funny and uh you know that that, that he yeah. must be one of the only actors in hollywood to have first of all two roles this iconic but also to have mm-hmm. two origin stories for those roles yeah i i think it's interesting that um, you know, in in sort of the roadmap, maybe Lucasfilm is sort of looking to or trying to draw inspiration from is when you have these franchises that have gone on for so long. Uh, you know, what are their sort of inspirations of how do you how do you deal with fan service? Like, how do you accommodate it? How do you Hopefully, how do you maybe not become a slave to it or how do you satisfy it? So I think solo and sort of moving forward, it'll be interesting to see uh, how much they lean into uh, a lot of the things that they start doing, you know, in solo, like having to introduce things, having to make sure all of the dots are connected, whereas maybe people don't necessarily need those dots connected and maybe trying to have a story that connects all of these dots unnecessarily maybe might weaken the story whereas if they were just like look we don't have to do all that stuff let's just try and tell a good story without the added weight of having to introduce a b c d and e because that's what people know in a late in another film or in another story with this you know right with this character and i um, think if, if they if they were to give Aaron Reich more times to play him. Right. Each time he played him, there would be less and less of that. Well, one would hope you're running out of stuff because they did a lot. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, they pushed a lot of buttons. They checked a lot of boxes in this, uh, you know, in this movie. Yeah. Um, so. I am glad. Like one of I, 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 the more I watch Rogue One, the more I enjoy Rogue One. Mm-hmm. But one of my critiques of Rogue One, and you'll hear me talk more about this next month when I'm talking about it with Liz on the standalone Rogue One episode is there are a couple of moments specifically the droids showing up and also the two scoundrels from the from the uh, cantina who show up on mm. Jeddah. It just feels very much like, hey, look what we can do. Hey, hey, look over here. Look at these guys. Look at these guys. And it just it somewhat takes you out of the film. And mm-hmm. I'm glad there weren't more cameos in this film. I think the setting helped. I think Rogue One, since it was essentially like the week before yeah. uh, A New Hope, they had license to be able to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this is like 10 years, they're like, okay, well, we can't really have, you know, like an Obi-Wan Kenobi cameo because he's on Tatooine right. being a hermit. Right. All of that stuff is, is you know, is is kind of established. Um, so the the nods and stuff that we get are either very Han centric or I mean, actually, they're just sort of mostly Han centric. But it it didn't feel there was nothing that I was like, oh, God, I can't believe they did that. At least I don't remember. Right at the moment. Yeah. So, you know. All right. So, um, so let, let, let's take the first sort of act of the film here. So, okay. you know, we see young Han, we meet Kira, we see their life 
on Corellia, and it's, you know, it's a tough life. They're essentially slaves or in, at least indentured servants. Um, you know, they're, they're living under this these terrible conditions, and they're dreaming of getting out. We see them attempt to get out. It works for Han. It does not work for Kira. Um, this is the part of the film that I think felt the least like Han, but I think that's mm-hmm. appropriate because we're not. We don't see him becoming a like. We he hasn't yet experienced the things that make him as jaded as we see him later on. You know, um, there's a lot of time for him to to grow into the character of Han Solo um, in this section. What did you think of the sort of initial origin stuff we see here? I thought it was, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I think, you know, yeah, he's grown up in a really tough environment, but he has, uh, he has Kira and assuming they've been together for a while, she's probably been, we see a little bit of this in their, you know, relationship. She's like a, a balancing factor uh, in sort of keeping him from being as jaded as he would, you know, become. It's not really until he loses her and then has to go off and do, you know, the the uh, academy and, and sort of live life, you know, out uh, sort of without her being, you know, the the balancing uh, um, thing that he sort of really goes on to be the, you know, the Han that we, um, the Han that we're a little more, a little more familiar with. Um, I thought, uh, I, so I just listened to, uh, recently your episode two, episode three, uh, episodes. Um, and this, uh, you know, watching this movie just reminded me how, uh, grateful I am that the Star Wars movies are getting back to, I guess, have since after the prequels, uh, like practical sets. Yes. You know, like, like, uh, you know, CG being a, a tool to expand on a, a physical set, but there is a, there's a physicality and there's a, there is a. Uh, grit to you know to you know all of these movies and uh, especially um you know this one now sometimes uh things got a little gritty like there were some dark scenes that were maybe could have been lit or excuse me lit <laughs> uh, a little better um uh, but in terms of establishing this is a lived in world uh, it continues to be, um, you know, one of the, one of the strengths of, of these movies that, and it's interesting that there have been so many Star Wars movies, uh, and there's so much material generated in the movies and obviously outside of the movies that the movies can pull from that for a fictional world slash for a fictional setting, there is a surprising amount of, understood designs and um, things. So you can have a period star Wars movie. So there's like this fictional reality that the audience basically has enough information to be able to place. This as like, Oh, so for like rogue, a little more for like rogue one, you're like, okay, this is sort of like the world war two movie of this sort of, of the star Wars timeline. Like it takes place in a certain place. You can look at it and be like, okay, so, for this particular movie, we're going to see this type of ship, but not that. If we see an right. Imperial shuttle, it's going to look like this and not that, 
you know, and that type of um, benefit uh, or that type of the ability for these for these movies to have that type of thing uh, is not unique to Star Wars. I think Star Trek has it as well, maybe like Orange Jones, but it, but it's it's rare. And these movies capitalize on that. Uh, uh, when they capitalize on that, it can it can add uh, a lot of verisimilitude very very uh, quickly. So, um, you know, in the 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 speeder chase or the or the the quote unquote car chase, like the the speeder that he steals, um, looks very much like uh, or not very much, but a lot like you know, like Luke's speeder. Like it very much spits like this is a speeder design, you know, type of thing. There's a lot of shorthand. Uh, that that this and these movies get to do um, that helps really very quickly set uh, uh, set these um, <laughs> settings uh, very well and quickly, and then they can sort of move on to other things. I also like seeing, uh, and and this is something that I started noticing, I guess, in in Rebels, but if obviously uh, with the sequel movies and stuff, I like seeing. Uh, like a lot of the ships and Star Destroyers like in places other than just sort of orbiting planets. So like in yeah. the beginning, uh, you know, first or second shot of the movie, they're on Corellia. So this is where, you know, the, there's the, like the space docks or the space yards or whatever. We look up and we see there's like a Star Destroyer being constructed mm-hmm. over, you know, overhead. And uh, that type of seeing because special effects have gotten so good in the last couple of decades, thanks to, you know, ILM at all, we now get to have these things integrated into, um, you know, sort of like the live area of, of movies and, and performances so much easier. Now it's, it's so much, uh, it, it makes these more visceral and, uh, uh, it puts you in that, in that place, uh, much, much more quickly. So I always, I always enjoy Stuff like that. For sure. So. Um, there, there's only one real thing I want to discuss from this uh, first segment of the film, and mm-hmm. that is the origin of the name Han Solo. Mm-hmm. I felt that was one of the more ham-fisted moments in the film. Uh, yeah. I understand why they would give him that name. I don't right. understand why he would keep that name with him. Hmm. Um... Yeah, I, I mean, you know, he he was probably called and used used it for a couple of years, right? Um, so, but there's no real like emotional reason for I guess for him to keep it, um, and it's not like he had it and then when he met Kira, he like stopped going by it and then she left him, and then he goes back to it, right? You know, so like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't think of a, I can't really you know think of a reason. Yeah, yeah it was it was a bit of an eye roll. Yeah. When I got it, I was like, oh, okay. Yep. Um, but I guess it didn't break the, uh, oh, you know, I didn't throw my popcorn into the air and say, I'm out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, because I wasn't having popcorn when I watched this. Um, <laughs> the, one thing that I did uh, write down for this section, it's this continues the, <laughs> the uh, Star Wars uh, thing of having a alien like mob boss or whatever that is just weirdly. Uh, not weirdly designed, but they they have a, a design that's cool, you know, I guess cool, but it doesn't seem to be a, to be effective for the amount of power that they wield, right? Sure. So like, yeah. so like the huts are not the hut clan or this. I was like, oh, okay, well, they're big slugs. I mean, you don't 
think of them being i mean clearly they have power but it's like they have power by their their subordinates and 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 stuff but it's always weird like okay that guy is the you know i mean i know in the you know original movies they're going for like a sydney green street sort of like alien version of like you know almost like the kingpin i guess would be a the thing but here um uh proxima lady proxima or whatever is this like it's a cool design and everything and you know we get to see han do again a little or not again but it's my thermal detonator that i'm gonna blow everybody up with and you're like okay jedi um but then you're like oh okay so she's eh, okay i mean she was menacing in the there was nothing wrong with the scene but i was like oh there's the oh that's a boss and okay i guess to be contrasted with dryden boss a little later in the uh, right you know a little later in the movie but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that yeah so let's actually get to that right now um okay. i want to talk about dryden voss and also just uh beckett's crew and okay. beckett a little bit uh let, let's start with beckett i think woody harrelson is a very predictably good actor mm-hmm. you know what you're going to get with woody harrelson and he pretty much gave this film the woody harrelson performance that you get from these films um, uh-huh. But I thought he was—I thought he was effective in that role. I think that his crew is somewhat wasted in the film, yeah. but chalk that up to Star Wars. I feel like a lot of times Star Wars introduces supporting characters, like you know, Captain Phasma, Boba Fett. Um, insert any pretty much uh, any non-Jedi or Luke, I mean, or, or or Han Chewie protagonist in the star wars films and they're just they're not given enough to do necessarily mm-hmm. um you know i know people were very upset because not only do you have uh john favreau and thandy newton you know who are excellent actors but you get them on screen for something like you know 10 minutes they don't really add anything to the story except humanize beckett a tiny bit Mm-hmm. But that's not to say I didn't enjoy them on screen. I just I wish I got more of them on screen. What did you think of that whole crew? Uh, yeah, they they worked really well together. Um, you know, to the point that like you want them to stick around. I can understand plot wise why they're you know pushed to the side. Uh, it, it was. Uh, I enjoyed. You know, obviously Beckett's like one of the main characters. Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed his performance. I thought that it was a bit of a waste to not have him, not necessarily like grieving more or for um, uh, Andy Newton's character. Can I, Val? Is that Val, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, considering they, you know, you had the campfire scene uh and they showed like a real sort of you know chemistry together i thought um you know it would have not that you want to have a movie where it's like grieve 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 but um i I feel like there was a bit of a missed opportunity you know there for him to kind of uh you know deal with you know losing his crew a little more than i guess the one scene we did get um uh, but yeah, that is kind of the nature of these sort of these sort of movies. There are, uh, you know, Star Wars, uh, you know, is sort of like a veneer that 
that you sort of put over another type of movie. And this movie is clearly like a, uh, you know, uh, um, like a, a heist movie. Um, and you're, uh, like a, you know, noir, but like a, you know, a crime movie. Right. So that, that subgenre brings with it certain, uh, you know, certain requirements, your femme fatale and, and this, that, and the other. So there are certain things that happen in the movie. You're like, okay, well, this is going to be, you know, there's going to be some betrayals. There's going to be some double crossing and probably a triple cross or, you know, those sort of things. So when they, when they happen, uh, you're sort of, you tend to go with them. Um, and that was probably one of them. You're like, okay, you're probably not going to get too deep into, um, you know, the actual sort of loss that he would probably, uh, you know, sort of naturally feel, but, uh, it was good for what it, uh, you know, they were good for what they needed to be. And, and he, I thought he was, you know, pretty good as a, you know, as a foil slash, uh, template for, you know, the Han that we, uh, you know, that we, that we sort of eventually get. Right. Um, what about, uh, Dryden Voss as a character? First of all, I, we we should say that this is one of the characters that was totally recast when uh, Ron Howard came on board. Um, mm-hmm. Paul Bettany was not was like Michael K. Williams, was yeah, the of who I love. Oh um, yeah, but because he couldn't come back for reshoots, and so those are the only scenes that you really know. Um, you know, you really know Ron Howard had a ton of of uh, influence in because he wasn't there you know for the for the first shoots of that um right. but what i like about the character is that i feel like it's 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 a really good characterization of somebody who is ruthless and evil enough to become a mob boss mm-hmm. like you don't get there is certainly a charisma there but you really He's he's never as charismatic as he is frightening, right? You you get the impression early on this guy's unhinged, this guy will cut you at the drop of a hat, you know. And uh, it's uh, I I think it's a I think it's a good performance by Bettany, who's a, who's a great actor, obviously. Um, but I know when Michael K. Williams did it, it was a much more it was a motion capture performance, right? And. Uh, I think that would have been just an interesting wrinkle to throw into Star Wars to have a more. Uh, he's described in the Wikipedia page, and I've seen this elsewhere, as a half mountain lion, half human type character, mm. and that would have been a very interesting choice for the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to say this is not an intentional sort of having replacing a mobster with, you know, like a human mobster with like a. The reverse of like replacing a human mobster with a digital. It's the reverse of the uh, Java from the. Yeah, the reverse yeah. of the Java thing. Yeah, yeah. Not everything is an intentional sort of. Like, <laughs> um, I really liked Bettany. Uh, he was, I mean, chewing that scenery like. Oh yeah. Like like a scene chewer. Um, I should come up with a better thing, but but like it was to the point where I was just I just liked watching him sort of do his thing you know he's like i am 
I am I am 110% into being the deadly, terrifying, but with the veneer of, you know, civilized and rational and, you know, oh, we're just we're just having a chat. You know, what are you going to, you know, what, you know, what can you do for me? You know, a, a suave, but obviously the scars on his face are sort of, you know, reminding you that like, hey, this, yeah, this dude, you know, be careful yeah. uh, around him. But yeah, I really... Uh, it could have been, I mean, it was over the top, but like, it could have been like really over the top, but I, uh, I was, I was charmed. Uh, I was charmed, you know, uh, uh, by it. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Here's yeah. a great line when he invites him into his inner chamber and she goes, let's eat a little and drink a lot. And, <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I think that the, the Kasdan ear for dialogue is definitely present at times, you know, in this film. And I think yeah. Bettany is, is great. He really is. Um, yeah. Let's talk about Kira for a minute. Uh, you know, the the love interest slash MacGuffin for the first half of the film, sort mm -hmm. of, uh, played by uh, Game of Thrones' is Amelia Clark. I've never seen Game of Thrones, but I'm told she's in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I've seen one episode three times. <laughs> it was like, I'm going to watch this thing, because I didn't get a chance to watch it until I learned that Sean Bean... Okay. dies in the first season i mean okay. spoiler i guess <laughs> whatever and i'm a big sean bean fan so i was like okay well there's no reason for me to watch it and then uh i discovered peter dinklage and i'm like oh man yeah i should watch it and i was like okay let me watch an episode and i was like oh that's cool but then i realized he wasn't as much of the center as i needed him to be to really sort of get into sure. it yeah and then time passed uh, let me watch another random episode oh it's the same one Time pass. Random episode. It's the same. Okay, you know what? The universe is telling me something. Not yeah. going to see that. So, so yeah, I didn't have any sort of... I had more of a preconceived notion of her from Terminator Genesis? Is that the one whatever, she's in? Yeah. Whichever, whichever one she was in that I barely made it through. Yeah. Um, so, I thought she was... I thought she was good here. I wish they'd given her more to... Do you, I, I wish we saw a little bit more of her that wasn't through the lens of Han. Right. You know? And I understand uh, why she's only really presented through the lens of Han. Yes. I understand why, but I'm with you. I, I wish I wish we saw more of that. Right. Um, I don't know how much more she could have done if they'd given her more material. I don't feel like I'm not getting that she has like a huge chameleonic sort of range, but I feel like she could have, she was good with what she was given. I wish they would have given her more so that she, so that we could directly feel for her more than, more than trying to, um, more than being sort of told to feel for her. It wasn't quite that bad. Because she did give us, you know, in in her in her looks and 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 uh, you know some line readings and and things, you can tell that she's a damaged person. I mean, she's much more refined when we see her, you know, after she's been captured and she comes back. But she is both more refined and obviously more broken at the same time, and she gives that off. But we, I wish we could have you know seen more without it having to come through you know the lens of of right. han which you weren't really going to get for this you know for this type of movie so here's so. my question about kira and we're jumping to the end of the film here but obviously if you're listening to this podcast 
you've yeah. seen the film, right? Uh-huh. So when she contacts Maul at the end of the mm-hmm. film, do you get the impression that she's doing that because she's she's trying to like help Han? Is that her way of helping Han to kind of say like, "Here's what happened. Beckett killed him." Um, you know, and and then to uh, you know, to not to not make Maul go after Han. Like, is she basically? She figures like she's fucked up enough. She can handle this role in in this in the crimson in the crimson dawn. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Crimson dawn. Yes. Okay, it sounded wrong coming out of, coming out of my mouth, but like she she yeah. accepts her role there because she knows she can handle it. Whereas she knows that if Han gets caught up in this, he's not going to be able to handle this. Like, do you see her decision to leave him as is she thinking about him at all, or? Is is this purely like a, a self-serving thing she's doing? I took it as she was looking out for him. Like mm-hmm. this was a parting gift. She knew she couldn't be with him even if, you know, he couldn't see that. And she played into that a little bit. She knew deep down she had, she had too many ties to, you know, Crimson Dawn and sort of this world. And I feel like what she had been through before, she just couldn't go back to being the type of person that Han would need her to be. So I feel like this is kind of her, her last gift to him of keeping him out of the, you know, out of the eyeline of, of sort of Crimson Dawn mm-hmm. and, and, and everything. That's how I, that's how I took it. Okay. Yeah. I, I took it in a very similar way. Um, like, I don't know if, if they did a sequel to this, I don't know if you would necessarily need or want to have Kira in it for that reason. Right. You know, um, I don't know how much more you can get out of the story of Han wants to be with her. She knows they can't be together. Right. There's only so much, there's only so many times you can beat that drum. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so let's, let's jump around a little bit more. Let's talk about not Lando, but L3, his loyal <laughs> companion droid. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the one area I fully expected a cameo from that we yeah. didn't get was Lobot. Um, but you know, oh, sh- oh, oh, but, okay, yeah, yeah. But L three more than makes up for the lack of Lobot. What did you think of L three in this film? Uh, I loved her. Um, and I had just discovered, uh, Phoebe Waller. Bridge, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's the name of the actress. Like a week before. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I had no idea who she was. Um, or maybe it was like right after when I first heard her. I thought it was Emma Thompson. It. She does give off Emma Thompson. She vibes. does give off the Emma Thompson vibe. And then I caught a trailer for her Netflix show, and I was like, Oh no, it's her. And then of course I saw the credits, and I was like, Oh yeah, it's not Emma Thompson. But no, she was great, and. I can't say she wasn't completely over the top, <laughs> you know, um, and playing on a similar vibe from the, the, the droid from Rogue One yes, with it's K- sort of K-2SO. the, yeah. you know, the, the whatever fleshy one sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, machine man type of uh, vibe that I ascribe to machine man now from thanks Warren Ellis. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, 
you know, it, it, it was, uh, it was great. Um, speaking of, uh, things that, you know, maybe, um, Ron Howard had his hand in, or maybe he didn't, he had to have had some of the, he had to do some of the stuff in the bar because L3 gives Clint Howard the, yes. the, um, the thing. So clearly Ron Howard, <laughs> You know, unless it was purely coincidental that Clint Howard was was cast before, which I doubt. I I doubt is a thing. Yeah, yeah, I really doubt. Uh, gotta love, gotta love the Howards. Um, yeah, I, I thought she, I, I really thought she was good. Uh, or I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I also really thought they did an excellent job of you know having somebody who is not there or doing the <laughs> like the 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 CGI replacement yes. of of now we don't have to have people in suits and obviously this is not the time this has happened um but yet you know her uh, the way they, the way they handled, I guess, all the characters, but certainly her character, like when she's in, you know, she comes in, she's, you know, flying the Falcon and she's talking to Kira, like the way she's slouching in the, you know, in the chair, the posture and, 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 and things, uh, you know, I'm sure that was motion captured from her performance. Um, but the whole, the whole package of, I guess is what I'm trying to get to, mm-hmm. uh, of, of her, you know, the voice and the thing uh, and the attitude and the physicality of whatever. Um, I loved it. Yeah. I was, I, I, I was on board. There are some people who have expressed a, um, a concern that some of the stuff doesn't fit into star Wars. And this is why I, want to, I said, we're going to talk about this more later. Like <laughs> the idea of like droid rights, is not something we've ever really encountered before in Star Wars. Well, so- you could say that that's always been there has always been a class system. Oh, sure, because sure. from the cantina scene, uh, we don't serve your kind, right? Exactly. Here. And yeah. then Luke is like, you know, go with thing. So one could make the case that yes, it has not been sort of this explicit, but that's always been yes. you know sort yeah. of part and parcel of Star Wars, whether you want to see it there. Um, uh, or, or not. Um, yeah. Does that answer? We didn't even actually ask the question. I sort of threw that in. No, but, um, but yeah, no, but I, I agree with that. The other thing that people tend to have a problem with is, is the intimation that she and Lando fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, the, like, I did not have a problem with that. No, and I I also don't know how much of it is true, which is kind of right. the fun part of it. You know, obviously right. there's a deep connection there. Um, yeah. But I do think, I, I think the character brings a needed levity to the film. Yeah. And I think that uh, there's like, there's this post-Lucasfilm, post-Lucasfilm sale to Disney trend of making the droids just as zippy and sarcastic as possible with Chopper mm-hmm. in Rogue One uh, in in Rebels rather, and then K two S O in Rogue One, and now L three in Solo. There's just you know there's just a lot of uh, a lot of sassy droids out there, which is not a bad yeah. thing. Well, you gotta you know you gotta course correct from you know C three PO. Like there's only so much sort of prissy, yes. uh, kind of annoying English 
Yes. Yeah. One uh, of my favorite bits of Star Wars trivia is that when Lucas wrote that character originally, he had in mind the voice of a used car salesman, <laughs> which is a totally yeah. different read on the character. Um, yeah. And obnoxious, I'm sure. Um, yes. All right, we've talked about all the characters for the most part, except for a character that I think is both interesting and I think leads to maybe the part of the film I disagree with the most, which is the character of Emphis Nest, the leader of oh. the Cloud Riders. Um, huh. You know, I, I like, first of all, I think it's a great design, the Emphis Nest design, mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed everything about those characters, except... I don't think that Han would have given up all of that for a cause he didn't really believe in. Right. Like, I know this um, is a younger, more innocent Han, but that to me just seems like it goes against his very character. Yeah. It. it uh, um. I. Yeah. Um. So they, like, it was weird because they killed two, I mean, not necessarily, well, one of them directly. Like, they killed one of the two people in Beckett's crew. Like, they shot right. Rio. Yeah. And then, you know, they were part of the thing and then Val dies. And, like, there's no, like, that was sort of forgotten towards right. later on in the movie. So, like, that, like, that had a big kind of a big you know problem with that um that was actually more of my problem than than uh han giving up the uh the uh coaxium. <laughs> the cable as i call it you're gonna seal the coaxium oh so they're stealing cable wait that can't be oh coaxium oh okay because i guess unobtainium is exactly like, yes. like we can't call it that it's it's <laughs> yeah it's the joke yeah. um yeah so so, like, were they supposed to be the beginning of the rebellion? The re really? I don't know. Like, the beginning of a... They were, like, I guess they took it as sort of like they're the beginning of a rebellion that would maybe grow in strength against sort of like the criminal side of stuff. And then maybe they would be one of the strands that sort of leads into sort of like the big rebellion rebellion. Thing. Right. Cause I get the fact that they were all, you know, essentially sort of villagers from seven samurai who, uh, when no samurai came to their aid, the survivors basically banded together and became this, this sort of mercenary bounty hunter. Right. Um, freedom fighters. I guess yeah. it's a little, it's a little weird and it wasn't yeah, like it was there for more of the movie, but it just feels like it sort of developed in the last, it went from like zero to 60 in kind of that last chunk of the, yes. of the movie. So the um, way like, you know, uh, we see Saw Gerrera and his sister in the clone wars. And okay. then we see Saw Gerrera 15 years before rogue one. So five years before this, rescue Jin from from the the bunker she's in after Galen is kidnapped in Rogue One. Mm -hmm. So we see that there's at least some sort of rebellion that's that the 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 embers are there. You know, it's not a full blown fire yet, but there are embers there. And I think that when it becomes the rebellion rebellion, 
you see all these different strands coming together. So I think that this is right. supposed to be one of the things that will eventually lead to the rebellion, even if it's not totally clear. Okay. Um, and that, you know, I mean, that basically sort of plays. Sure. Um, yeah. It just, it was more of the, for me, it was more of the bit of the whiplash from, okay, well, that may well be true, but plot wise, the last time you saw these people, they killed two of your, right. you know, two people that Han and Chewie had just met, but that Beckett knew very apparently well. was really close to. Yes. So tonally, I'm like, all right, he should, there should be some acknowledgement of that. Like, not that he can't sort of, sort of like put that aside to deal with the business at hand. Right. AKA his own sort of survival, but that could have been mm. solved in one line of dialogue. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. All right. Not so, the character I thought you were going to mention, actually. Who were you th- who do you think I was going to mention? Uh, I thought you were going to mention Chewie. Oh, we'll talk about Chewie for a you minute. Have, yeah. You haven't, you haven't mentioned Chewie. I thought you were sort of saving that for the big, the, for the big reveal. Um, yeah, so one of the things I've liked in the last couple of Star Wars movies is Chewie has gotten more to do, mm-hmm. both in terms of, I guess, plot, but also just physically. Like, we see him, I don't necessarily know how to explain it, but we see him move more. Yes. Like, he seems more active. Um, and I think it's great. Uh, I, in my notes, I had actually had written... Um, what if this had been a Chewie movie? Oh, interesting. So most of the movie is essentially the same, right? Because Chewie's in kind of most of it, but you're seeing it sort of through Chewie. And so that first 15, 20 minutes is like Chewie's story. And then it leads him to being in the in the pit or whatever. And then that's where Han comes in. And then the rest of the movie sort of goes through. Like... How would I was like, first of all, I would have loved that. And then, but then I'm thinking, okay, well, obviously the language is a problem. So how, not to go off on a bit of a tangent, but like, okay, so how do you do that? Right. Do you hunt for October it where they walk through a doorway and all of a sudden Russian becomes English? Yeah. Right. So is it like they're speaking English to each other and it's only when somebody else comes in that, you know, the other people are like speaking something, you know, weird or do you have what's essentially like a not a silent movie but like a foreign language film for a bunch of it like that would be more um would be more interesting uh it would also be in some ways a riskier proposition but i figure if you look at it like the star wars fan base is rabid enough i think that would be if they really wanted to do that this would probably be the the fan base to be able to that would sure. still embrace that yeah you know yeah. um and i feel yeah i feel like you know chewy is still sort of not given like he's getting more status but he's like he's not quite the, the sort of like han's dog right or whatever which is sort of like what the initial thing was but he's not i don't feel like he's quite getting put on the level of of uh you know sort of where he like they were equals right um, he, he still doesn't get the medal at the end of a new hope right yeah exactly exactly right yeah. um which is a yeah that's, that's a whole other thing yeah. um but certainly like in you know in this movie and stuff we get to see him do it's like the more we saw him do 
and the more we saw with him, the more I kind of wanted it to be a Chewie movie. Sure. And that's, you know? I would say, one of the damning things about the film is that, and damning is the wrong word, but I think a lot of people left the theater and thought, I wish it was a Lando film. Right. And to also say which was a chewy film is it just shows that there maybe isn't as much meat on the Han Solo bone as we thought there was. Right. Um, yeah, he's he's a good character to have, but he he works better when he's playing off of yes. you know a princess and a farm boy and a space wizard and right. the Empire as opposed to playing off of other smugglers. Yeah. Or other. You know uh, things. Even though he starts off less of a less of a scoundrel than he just sort of ends up, you know, ends up being. Um, so, uh, yeah. um, so we we are already about a half hour longer than I wanted to be with this episode. So I okay. I'm gonna hit you with some quick things here, and I want to okay. get your like gut reactions on things. Okay. Okay. Um, Mall, good, bad, indifferent, in terms of how it worked, how it landed for you. Um good-ish. Okay. I was not surprised. Um, but uh, it was not bad. I was like, okay, cool. Okay. I feel like when you go back one day and watch all of the Clone Wars and all of Rebels, you'll enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. That's at least how, how I felt with it. Because the first time I watched it, I had not seen the Clone Wars and Rebels. Second time I had, okay. I had seen it all, and it, it hit much more. Uh, okay. Is it weird to just me how some words in Star Wars are clearly given new Star Wars definitions or new words and other things are just the same like my example from episode th- three is always when uh or episode two rather when uh owen says this is my girlfriend baru like girlfriend's a weird word to hear in star wars and in in yeah. solo he says i hear you guys make good brandy and yes like, brandy's a weird word to be the same in star wars and in my world right <laughs> yeah uh getting blown to hell yes i was like okay I, I'll let that one go. And he's like, I hear you have an excellent thing of brandy. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Um, what did you think of L3 becoming part of the Millennium Falcon and theoretically part of the reason why it's such a reliable ship? I thought that was great. Uh, I wish there was some way they could kind of uh, harken back to the or, or acknowledge that. Right. You know, like when when I heard, the, you know, when I saw that part of the movie and then I thought to uh, A New Hope when Han is like, you know, hang on, baby, you know, she'll hold together. Come on, baby, hold together. That right. sort of thing, which is weird because he did. That would have been more of like a Lando relationship with L3 than Han. But sure. I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was great. Yeah. I, it, you would have been great to acknowledge that, like in Empire, when they're flying through the asteroid field. Yeah. Just, you know, just showing her navigational skills and all of that. Um. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you think that there is? Uh, do you think there's any place for a Han story that takes place before this film, or is this all we need of pre-Solo Han? There. Th- yes, this is all we need of pre-Solo Han. Okay. Is there a place for a pre-Solo Chewie film? Or, or a, a pre-solo Chewy story, book, novel, you know, comic. Um, more than Han, but okay. probably not. Okay. Last question for you, my friend. 
Okay. Did you notice the nod to the Christmas to the holiday special? Uh, was it family or tribe? Yes. No. Oh. Oh. Okay. Then. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. There, well, I guess I did. It's interesting because Rogue One also has a nod to the holiday special, where when they're uh, when they're with Sagarera's rebels, they're watching a woman dancing on a holovid. Which happens yeah. for like forty minutes of the, of the holiday special. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Greg, for being on the show tonight. Where can folks find you on Multiversity on the internet? What are you up to nowadays? Uh, well, uh, every week, twice a week, uh, Mike Romeo and I co-host Robots from Tomorrow, a podcast on the aforementioned MultiversityComics.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Greg Matasevich. Uh, the, you can go to Multiversity down at the bottom of the episode post. It's got the spelling <laughs> for, uh, 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 for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's basically it. So, Robots from Tomorrow, by the time this comes out, will have released its 600th episode, which is crazy. Yeah. That's, crazy. Well, uh, two episodes a week, every week for like five years. Yeah. But <laughs> um, congratulations on 600 episodes, man. That's that's incredible. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. Mike uh, Mike was like, okay, here's what our schedule is going to be. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. And we've just we've just stuck to it and uh it's you know it's worked out and it's also worked out by being uh such a part of such a wonderful uh the multiversity crew uh such a nice home for us to to, for us to do our thing uh exactly how how we want to do it and uh have other podcasts to be a part of and people to bring in and 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 have on the show and stuff it's been uh uh, it's been a wonderful relationship having uh, uh multiversity sort of in our or being in multiversity's corner, I guess would be the way to uh, the way to do that. So, uh, uh, on behalf of Mike and I, thank you uh, for uh, uh, for making that all happen. Oh, so. my pleasure. Mondays and Thursdays belong to yes. Robots from Tomorrow. Every other Friday belongs to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. So, we will see you guys next time. And remember, the Force will be with you always. 